I will miss that. I really will. <laughs> I don't know about you, but a um, little bit of confession here. Uh, I have the ability to, at times, kind of talk myself into a bit of a funk, get into kind of a negative state of mind, start to uh, feel some uncomfortable things, doubt some things. I don't mean about God. I mean mostly about me. But uh, perhaps you can identify with that. We're going to look at this last cave today, the cave we're going to call the cave of recovery and redirection. And we're going to see somebody that gets into one of these funks, that comes to one of these times in their life where all of a sudden they seem to be unsure about their future. They're unsure about how far they can trust God, what they can trust God to do. They're unsure whether they can trust God to sustain them, protect them. And we all, I think, can get to those places and we start to question and we start to feel uncomfortable and we maybe get discouraged and we maybe get depressed and we try to keep our game face on and we try not to let anybody know until it gets so un, uh, uncomfortable that we have to share it with someone. I'll, I'll just give you an idea of something that happened. This is way back in our history. Uh, the church just turned 30 years old this past October 27th. Woo! So yeah, thank you. So... Uh, <laughs> What I'm going to share with you is a long time ago, we were in about our 12th or 13th year. We were still at Ballinger Creek Elementary, and uh, Ballinger Creek Elementary was a wild scene. We, we'd have to set up all the chairs every Sunday. We would bring in four trailer loads of stuff and set up all the stuff and then have to take it back down the same day. We, we wore out lots and lots of wonderful people in that process. But we got to about the 12th or 13th year, and finally it looked like we, we had to make a move. We were running about 600 people at the time. And so we had never, ever tried to raise any funds. And I always felt really good about that. You know, we, we just never tried. So all of a sudden, to get this complex now, not as it is, we originally were going to lease this building for 10 years, and we were purchasing 50 acres that we would eventually build on. That was the original plan. But to do that, we had to raise $100,000. Well, it didn't seem like a lot, but at the time, it was a lot. So we ran our first campaign, and uh, we, we had the big cheesy thermometer and everything, and some of you that were back, how many were back in the Ballinger Creek days? Can I see your hands? Okay, so maybe some of you can remember we had the big cheesy thermometer, and, you know, we're doing the pledge thing and all like that. So, man, it was an exciting time. It really was, and I was all excited. I just felt like, you know, God was in this. It was the right time. It was the right decision to make. And so finally it came down to the day, where, okay, the pledges are all in, and we, we do the count. We had to raise 100,000 bucks. It didn't seem like much at all. Well, $32,000 is what came in. Now, $32,000 would not allow us to move forward. This message, by the way, relax. Just, just let your wallets, your credit cards go. This has nothing to do. <laughs> no, no pitch. But $32,000 was not going to allow us to go forward. Well, it just so happened that I had timed it out where I was getting a week off right after that because, you know, I was just running kind of ragged. And we were getting near Christmas and Christmas Eve, and so... I had a week, so I go home, and I start pondering this thing, and um, I'm going to be very honest with you. I was totally blown away. I, I was discouraged. I was shocked. I mean, I just felt like, you've got to be kidding me. Lord, you, we've come so far. The enthusiasm seems so high. I mean, I thought everybody cared. I thought they cared as much as I cared. I thought we were in this together, that your spirit was stirring all of us together, and, and I'm going through all these gyrations in my head, and slowly but surely, man, I talked myself into a very, very dark place. Now, without boring you to tears, I'll just say this. I've been through a lot in my life, a lot of very difficult things, some of which were my own cause. You know, I, I was the cause of it. Nevertheless, there's only been one time in my life, one time, 
where I literally thought I was about to lose my mind or, or, or have some kind of a breakdown, and that was during this. So I was home this week, and I'm pondering all this stuff, and I'm getting darker and darker and more and more discouraged, more and more in a funk, you know, and, and I'm thinking about the future, and I'm scared, and I'm confused, and then I start sitting there one day. I, I was sitting on my couch. I was looking out through my back. We had a screened-in porch where we were living at the time, and I'm just staring out in the backyard, and I remember as I'm staring and I'm thinking about all this and I'm getting more and more discouraged, more and more depressed, all at once it hit me. I was losing control of my thoughts. It's never happened to me in my entire life, never. And I felt like, man, what is going on? So I knew I, I had to pull this back really, really fast or I was going to sink into something so deep that I might not be able to get back out of. Well, well I did and I kind of calmed myself down and cooled my jets and I, I started learning a lesson that I've had to repeat over and over again and I'm sharing this message with you today because the likelihood is you're going to have to learn this lesson too and the lesson is a simple one but it's not that simple to do in real time and, and that's to we have to learn how to reconnect with God and talk ourselves down off the ledge okay I don't know if it makes much sense to you but, but I, I can talk myself into a very deep pit really really quick I just want to say this now I don't care how many years you follow Christ I don't care how much of a committed Christian you are I don't care how mature you are you too can fall into this funk you can get down you can get discouraged you can get depressed you start getting negative you start getting bitter you start getting critical you, you, you just get in a bad place and here's the key you become tempted you become tempted to make all kinds of irrational decisions most of them have to do with some form of checking out, quitting, running, you know, doing really dramatic things, maybe even to your own physicality. And uh, it's a dangerous place to be in. So we, we were in this campaign and it went badly. And so I had these days. And so all of a sudden, when, when I felt like I was literally losing my mind, I got scared. I grabbed hold of God the best I knew how to. And I just started seeking him, seeking him, made it through the rest of that week and went back at what I was created to do and who I was created to be now I'll finish that story at the end of the message because there is another part to that story so we're going to meet our main character today it's a guy that we met last week he, he's a great man of God his name is Elijah Elijah the prophet we met him last week when he was meeting Obadiah who had been hiding the prophets of God from Jezebel she was seeking to kill all of them he meets Elijah, and Elijah says, okay, I'm, I'm going to meet now with Ahab. There had been a famine caused by Elijah on the land. There had been a drought, no rain for three years, and now God was telling Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab, and there's going to be, in essence, a showdown now. We're going to look mostly at 1 Kings 19 because there's an awful lot of text, a lot of narrative, but if you read chapter 18 an awful lot goes on before we get here now I'll get to that in just a minute but we're going to see this great man of God in a real funk I mean we're going to see him so discouraged so negative uh, so depressed I'll dare to say uh, that, that he's having suicidal ideation I mean he's, he's contemplating things that no human being in their right mind I'm not being insulting here but I'm saying this to protect somebody that might be in here and you might be thinking dark and bad thoughts about maybe it'd be better and easier just to not live than to live the way I'm feeling and living that's not a rational thought don't listen to that thought that's not from God um, God has a bright future for you it's going to take some courage it's going to take some daring it's going to take some steadfast trust in him it's going to have some ups and downs it's going to have some bumps and bruises 
But it's a good future. It's a healthy future. It's a productive future. It's a future that's going to bless you, build you, and pass on that blessing to others that God will send across your path. You must hold on to that. You must believe that. You cannot listen to those dark thoughts when you're in that dark place. Maybe some of you can identify with it. Um, hopefully, you know, we can all benefit to some degree. If nothing else, we know people in our lives that struggle that way. So the cave of recovery and redirection. This was one of my first experiences in the cave of recovery and redirection was during that time, I had to find a way to recover. And then God redirected me, and I've been on that course ever since. But it was a difficult place. So let me now introduce you to our main text today, and we'll see that Elijah, this great man of God, and by the way, just, just to give you an idea of how great a man of God he is, how many of you know when Jesus is about to be crucified, he's coming close to the end of his ministry, he is transfigured, he shows his internal glory to his disciples, to Peter, James, and John, and two individuals appear uh, from the heavenly glory to Jesus and to them. How many of you remember who the two were? And just shout it out. Moses and Elijah, the man we're talking about, Elijah. Now, mind you, when he appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's about 900 years removed from the text that we're going to read. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. This man, who we're going to see in just a minute, was scared to death for his life. He was running for his life. He thought, sure, his life was going to be ended abruptly and painfully by Jezebel. <laughs> he never dies. He's still alive to this day. He is one of the only two men in the scripture that never has seen death. So the very thing, plant this in your mind, the very thing that brought him to the place of discouragement, depression, suicidal ideation, this fear of death, a painful death from, from Jezebel, it never happened at all. The thing that might be tormenting you, tormenting me, scaring me, scaring you, shaking us to our foundations, making us think crazy thoughts of escape and quitting and running or hurting ourselves or whatever it may be, they very often, they never even happen. I'm just going to ask you, how many of you, you know what it is to worry, you know what it is to dig yourself into a funk only to find out what you were initially worried about, concerned about, afraid of, never even happened. How, how many have been there and had that? Okay, we need to always tuck those things away for when these kind of moments come. We're going to see Elijah receiving recovery. It'll be beneficial information for all of us. And then redirection. So here we go. Now Ahab told Jezebel, it's kind of interesting, Ahab goes to his wife when he wants to bring the big guns in. He goes and tells her. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Pause. You have to read chapter 18 to know what this is about. In chapter 18, you have this big showdown where uh, Elijah says, bring all the prophets of Baal. Uh, Jezebel had shipped in 450 of them. They show up, and, and uh, Elijah says, Let, let's have a test. The real God will light a sacrifice by fire from heaven. So they build an altar. The prophets of Baal build an altar. Elijah builds an altar. They put a bull on top of each altar. And Elijah says, you guys go first. Call on Baal. If Baal is God, let him call down the fire. And so they start out, and they start dancing, and they're you know, doing all their ceremonial stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And, and read it on your own because it's kind of funny. Elijah literally taunts them. He says, oh, gee, maybe, maybe you need to yell a little louder. Maybe Baal can't hear you. And then he says, maybe Baal's deep in thought, or, or maybe he's out on a trip. He literally says this, if you read it, 
1 Kings 18. They start cutting themselves ceremonially. They think that bloodletting will move the, the heart of Baal to show his mighty power from heaven. Nothing happens. Evening comes. Elijah then calls on the Lord. The fire comes down. It engulfs it. And then all the Israelites say, Surely the Lord, he is God, not Baal. So then Elijah initiates executing all these false, false prophets of Baal who were misleading people, destroying their lives ultimately. So that's where all this is coming from. Now there was more that happened the same day. God had given Elijah the power to uh, bring a, a, a drought on the land so it had not rained for three years. That was creating famine. And so now God is telling Elijah, it's time for the rain. So he gets down after killing all these prophets he gets down and he prays and he prays seven times and finally a big storm comes, it rains. But the story doesn't end there. Elijah is so psyched. I mean, think about it. He's humiliated the prophets of Baal. He's, he's completely turned. He thinks he's turned the hearts of all the people in Israel. They say the Lord is God, not Baal. He's brought rain back so the people are celebrating. Wow, our crops are going to grow again. Everything's going great. He's so fired up. <laughs> the scripture says he takes off running. Ahab is in a chariot. Elijah takes off running. They're at Mount Carmel where this big showdown occurred. It's about 15 to 20 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, which is where the palace was in the northern kingdom. And so he outruns Ahab's chariot. My man ran 15 to 20 miles. I mean, I don't know if he was a marathon or what. But anyway, you to shake it up. That was a lot of activity that day. He has this tremendous spiritual showdown. It lasted all day long. He has this prayer that brought rain, and then he outruns the chariot for 15 to 20 miles. How many of you would think you'd be a little bit physically tired after that? You see? Okay. Maybe mentally tired, maybe emotionally tired, maybe spiritually worn out. Tuck that away. So behind this sentence lies everything I just told you. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed uh, all the prophets with the sword so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them so all of a sudden his life is on the line once again now God had hidden Elijah away for three years from Jezebel he's probably assuming that she's going to turn to the God of Israel now after this powerful display but her heart is as hard as iron she's not the slightest bit intimidated and she says I'm going to get you Elijah you think you did something you have done nothing let's go on Elijah was what's the first word afraid and what did he do keep that in mind now God had protected him from Jezebel. She had already been killing the Lord's prophets. We saw that last week. Obadiah had to hide a hundred of them to keep any of them alive. So God had been able to keep Elijah alive all this time. Jezebel had been seeking him. But all of a sudden now, after this big power display, God really showed up in a big way. But Elijah, instead of being more bold, instead of being more confident, instead of trusting that God will always come through, he's afraid fear just comes over him and he runs for his life keep it in mind he's running because he does not want to lose his life he's running because he wants to stay alive all right he came to Beersheba Beersheba now he was in Jezreel he ran to Jezreel which is about 15 20 miles he goes to Beersheba Beersheba is another 100 miles that's a long way on foot okay he came to Beersheba, Beersheba in Judah he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. 
he came to a broom bush I don't know what that is but it sounds really interesting I picture you know sweeping something sat down under it and prayed that he might what now wait a minute can't have it both ways right Uh, up here it said he was running for his life now he's praying that he might die I don't want you to raise your hands on this for sure but I can tell you when you get into the funk having been in those and you start letting your imagination drift and you're thinking of all the escape scenarios it would not be unusual if a number of us have not actually thought you know would it would it just be easier not to to live anymore would it just be it's just so uncomfortable being me it's like day after day it gets no easier it gets harder I don't know I don't know if I want to face this I don't know if I want to go on like this I just think it might be easier to just not exist anymore in this world be careful be careful because these kind of dark ideas are are not uncommon they came to this prophet Elijah he's literally praying he's running for his life to stay alive irrationally contradicting him his own mind when he was rational now he wants to die he prayed that he might die I've had enough Lord he said take my life I'm no better than any of my ancestors then he lay down under the bush and did what fell asleep we'll see how important this is we are spirit soul and body and they all interact on one another if my body is exhausted it's going to affect my spirit and my soul and I won't be able to function rationally it'll feel rational to me but it's really my emotions and my body that are leading me to be susceptible to lots of lots of bad decision making that we dare not make so so we got to keep in mind that we're physical beings as well as spiritual beings so he lays down and he in essence collapses and it's about time the guy has had a lot of physical rigor let's go on all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water he ate and he drank and then he lay down again the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said get up and what does it say eat for the journey is too much for you now now let's get the picture the angel doesn't say come on we need to talk Elijah man you're, you're thinking some really dark stuff you know you're a servant of God you you can't be thinking this way no the angel just just feeds him and allows him to rest and then allows him to eat again and then rest this is a strong hint to us if we're not taking care of our physicality something as simple as a a continued habit of sleep deprivation it, it can do terrible things to our ability to function rationally and it will affect us spiritually I don't care how devoted to the Lord we are if we don't take care of our bodies at least basically it's going to affect our mind our emotions our reason and ultimately our spiritual development so the angel who knows best just, just rests the guy doesn't talk to him at all doesn't try to change his thoughts just feeds him and rests him let's go on so he got up and he ate and he drank strengthened by that food he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he came to Horeb the mountain of God that's where Moses received the law it's in Saudi Arabia today it's about another 200 miles journey from where he was at in Beersheba prior to this so he goes to the mount of God there he went into a what cave and I'm calling it the cave of recovery and the cave of redirection 
And the whole basis of this message is, I know by experience, we need to understand how to function in that cave. We, we need to go there without shame. We need to get into that cave of recovery sometimes and that, you know, getting our reassignment, our redirection from God, not from anyone else. And we need to hear God speaking past our irrational, confused, discouraged, depressed thoughts uh, at these times. So he gets into the cave. There he, he went into the cave and he spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. This is what the Lord says to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't it interesting the kind of questions the Lord asked Adam and Eve? Break trust with God. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They believe all the lies that Satan said about God. Oh, God's just about power. He's just trying to keep you down. He's trying to hold you back. He knows that if you get knowledge, you can be equal to him. They buy all Satan's lies. They listen to all of his slander. And then they try to start out life on their own. And when they hear the voice of the Lord in the garden, they do what? They run. They hide. They're trying to cover up with fig leaves. How many of you know it's not easy to look good in your clothing if, if all you've got is fig leaves? It's not an easy thing. You can't mend those bad boys very easily. You can't sew them together. So God says the first thing to him, he says, Adam, where are you? Now, did God not know where he was at? Of course he knew where he was at. God asks these questions. Parents, when your child has just broken something in the house that you told that child, whatever you do, don't touch that. I had this happen to me when I was a kid living with my grandmother. I was practicing my baseball swing. I was never any good, but I, I practiced during the winter. And she said, don't swing that bat in this living room. You're going to break that. She had this, um, like a horse, uh, kind of a ceramic horse kind of thing. I'm not going to hit that thing. I got the whole living room, I told her. Well, I was swinging that bat one day, and all of a sudden I heard, dink off went the head man off went the, I was like oh shoot I'm in so much trouble and you know our grandmother would say what happened to the ceramic horse you know well she she wants me to be honest she wants me to confess and I'm terrified to do it God wants us listen to this carefully at our most uncomfortable times at the times when we are least comfortable when we feel guilty and are when we feel shame and perhaps deserve it, he still always he wants to come close. Let's talk. Let's get face to face. I love you. I'm for you. This is not the end. This is a developmental experience, but, but we got to get close. We got to talk. We got to get face to face. You, you have to own your truth with me in my presence to know that I'm always the safest person in the universe for you. So anyway, the question, Elijah, <laughs> what are you doing here man in essence he's saying you're my prophet why are you here in this cave what we want to do now is i want to spend some time when do we need when do you and i need recovery and redirection i'm going to take you quickly through some principles first in god's word here we go proverbs 13 12 when do we need recovery and redirection unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick says proverbs 12 13 whenever you and i experience disappointment in life be careful it's like the red lights on your dashboard be careful that's a warning sign when we're experiencing disappointment we can be disappointed with ourselves we can just be disappointed with the kind of career we have the kind of life we can be disappointed with our friends our family our spouse we can be disappointed with all kinds of things but when disappointment is a lingering factor in my mind your mind our hearts be careful be careful because it'll send you on that path toward that funk where you start thinking all these negative things and you start feeling maybe 
a little bit sorry for yourself, a little bit deprived, and you start to you know, consider some options of various sorts that are usually not ever good, be careful. When we experience disappointment, don't experience it apart from God. Experiencing disappointment with God he can help us work through it, but without God, that's a dangerous thing. I, I mean, uh, Elijah was disappointed. He, he actually, I believe, expected that uh, Jezebel was going to fall on her knees and worship God too, that the whole kingdom would be turned, and it didn't work out that way. She was just, just as ready to kill him as she ever was. He was disappointed with the way this thing worked out. Let's go on to a second principle. Ecclesiastes 2.17, this is Solomon at a time in his life where he was in a tailspin. He says, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is, what's the word? Meaningless, like chasing the wind. Be careful because you and I uh, can come to times in our life where we hate our life. And we might even say it. We might say it privately. We might say it to somebody we trust. But we honestly get to the place where we, we just hate our life. It's uncomfortable every day. Let me go further. Sometimes we come to the place where we say, I hate myself. And that's really dangerous. That's really a dangerous place to be. When we see these kind of dark negative thoughts filling our hearts and minds, you know, I just, if I have to go on like this for another 50 years, I'd rather be dead. When you hear those thoughts like that going through your head, be careful. When we start to hate our life, when we start to feel like our life is meaningless, you know, it's like I get up, I go to work, I come home, I go to sleep, I get up, I go, and, and you just start feeling that none of it counts, none of it has any meaning. None of your interactions with people have any meaning. You start to feel, I'm just like a ghost moving through life, and I don't even know if anybody knows I exist. And even if they know I exist, I don't ever feel like I can connect with them. I just always feel this golf. Be careful. These are warning signs. Uh, Elijah was a, a bit isolated he was a bit disconnected and he had some expectations that were unrealistic and he became disappointed but he started to hate the way his life was very clearly there's a final one when we feel or actually are overwhelmed Elijah was overwhelmed by the sheer power and determination of Jezebel listen to Paul talking about his own life when he felt overwhelmed but he shows us how to, how to handle it when we are feeling overwhelmed he says we think you ought to know dear brothers and sisters about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia we were these are powerful descriptive words we were crushed he's trying to find the most painful word he can express to tell you how bad he felt how bad it felt to be him we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure I want to ask for hands because most of us in here have had seasons in life where we felt like we were so overwhelmed that there's no way I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it through this. If things don't change, I'm going to go under for the third time. Paul said, I, I was overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure and we thought we would never live through it. Elijah was disappointed. Elijah was hating life the way it was working out. And Elijah felt overwhelmed. He felt beaten. He felt, I don't have what it takes. These people, this, this force of evil, it's, it's too strong. Now listen to what Paul goes on to say. In fact, we expected to die. Think of Elijah. He expected to lose. He expected Jezebel to succeed. He was tired of being on the run, looking over his shoulders. So he finds it's enough. I, I just want to die. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, 
we stopped relying on who? Ourselves. And we learned, we learned, it's a process, it's not immediate. We learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Paul is saying, you know, I, I didn't like being in this place. And I was out of bullets. I had no moves left. I was done. And all I could do is just throw myself on the mercy of God. And I don't know how he did it. He kept me alive. He kept me breathing. He kept me moving in the right direction. And man, did I learn a lesson. I learned that I can face overwhelming circumstances with a little less fear each time I go through them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about something I've lived through now. And some of you have too. That I go through the overwhelming experience. I'm still scared. I'm still shaky. But I get through it because God somehow sustains me. And when I face the next one, I'm not quite as afraid. And the longer we have these experiences, the more fearless we become. But it's not because we're fearless people. It's because we really learn. This is a tough lesson. It seems so obvious, but it's tough for me, tough for all of us. We really can count on God. He really, really, really is dependable. You say, but Randy, he's invisible. Yes, but he shows up. He shows up again and again and again to those that trust in him and look for him. And once we learn this and internalize it, we start getting more courageous. But it is a process. It is a learned process. And it cannot be learned unless we go through the overwhelming circumstance. So warning signs. Be careful. I'm going to put all these together for you now. Here we go. Caution. Red lights on the dashboard for me, for you, for, for all of us. When life becomes, my life or your life becomes spiritually demanding, Okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but, but still, it takes a lot of energy. When life becomes spiritually demanding, circumstantially disappointing, physically draining. Part of Elijah's problem was is he didn't calculate on spirit, soul, and body. His body was drained. He, he was probably just so drained physically that he was having adrenal gland shutdown, which caused his depression and the irrational thought processes that resulted. When my life becomes spiritually demanding, circumstantially disappointing, physically draining, and emotionally distressing, be careful, because that's when you and I, I don't care how mature in Christ we are, I don't care how faithful to God we are, we can start thinking irrationally. We can start getting discouraged. We can start getting depressed. We start thinking dark escapist scenarios. And we are capable of making disastrous decisions at such seasons so when these things are happening we just need if nothing else to say I need to get somebody that I can trust in my life let them know what's going on that they'll help me to not make any bad decisions during this time there, there's a time when it's not wise to make any major decisions this is one when all these things are going on Elijah's making decisions he's like ah, I just, I just want to die God I just, it's better for me just not to be alive anymore we are here to, to learn. In fact, what God wants us to do is to, to rediscover and then to, or, or excuse me, to recover and then to be redirected by God. Now, that's what happens to Elijah next. He's in that cave. The Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then they start to have a conversation. The key to getting recovery and the key to getting redirection is you and I must know what it is to get into the personal presence of God. Now, now, for some of us, this is foreign. You're like, what do you mean he's invisible? How do you get in his presence? How do you get in the presence of oxygen? Are you in the presence of oxygen right now? Are, are we in the presence of atoms and molecules right now? We can't see them, but we know they're there because there is a mechanism. To see them. 
God is present all the time. He is the only person that is present everywhere all the time around us as well as inside of us. God is the only one that knows us from the inside out. He knows what it feels like to be you. We often get discouraged and we feel like, man, nobody knows what it feels like to be me. God does. He always knows. And, and so we have to learn. It's not that he's not present. It's that we need to elevate our trust in his presence and our awareness of his presence. But you can't get re, re we cannot get recovery or redirection until we first get in God's presence. Elijah gets to the cave, and God speaks to him. So now, it, it's a real heart-to-heart interaction with God that has to occur for recovery and redirection to occur. Let's go on. And let's ask this question. Why do we need recovery and redirection? I mean, I mean why do we need it? Let's look, look a little further. Elijah, once again, he replies to God from the cave. Now, now listen carefully to the tone of what he says to God. He says, to, speaking right to the Lord, he says these things. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Now, right off the top of my head, let me just give you a few things that I see in this. I see an individual that's a bit proud. He thinks, first of all, that you see how... First of all, let me ask you this. Did God need a report on this or did God already know? <laughs> okay? Did, did he need a geography report and a, and a dramatic breakdown? Of what's, no, he, he knew. So he's reporting to God, but he's reporting to God. You can hear it in his voice as an edge. He is seeing himself in a favorable light. He says, look, look I'm, I was zealous for you, for the Lord of God. Those stinking Israelites, they're all, they're all turning away from you. They're killing the prophets and so forth. And he says, and, and, and by the way, I'm the only one that's left. So we see self-pity. We see pride. We see a little bit of edge in his voice toward God. He's like, you know, this is not the deal I signed up for. I've been zealous for you. Why aren't you backing me? Why didn't you change Jezebel's heart? Why isn't the whole kingdom of Israel jumping on my side now? Why, why, aren't, things the way, why aren't things working out the way I expected them to work out? Our expectations get us in trouble. When our expectations are not governed by the principles that God has laid out in his word, we're likely to expect God to do things that he hasn't promised to do in this age at least and then there's things that he will do that we we don't even become aware of anyway he says I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty the Israelites have rejected your covenant they torn down your altars they put your prophets to death with the sword I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me now, now actually the Israelites weren't trying to kill him Jezebel was let's go on pause for a minute how many have ever had be, be honest how many have ever had one of those conversations with God poor me poor me God why aren't you doing more for me can't you see how tough it is to be me <laughs> can't you see what I'm going through you mean he doesn't know I have to report it to him he can't see it I just want you to know you may not have seen this God but I'm getting treated pretty badly here uh, you may not have been aware of it and you may not be aware of how faithful I am to you and that I certainly deserve better but I just thought I'd let you know <laughs> The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Key part, in the presence of the Lord. We have to know how to get into the presence of the Lord. We have to know how to get in the cave, get alone, block everything out, everyone out, get into the presence, speak to him from our hearts, receive uh, impressions on our mind from his heart. Stand in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
So the Lord's passing by, and he's now, here, I'm gonna give you a heads up. What, what God's doing is he's speaking to Alexa, oh, not to Alexa, but to Elijah's. <laughs> Alexa would be my daughter. I don't, I don't know how she got into this message. <laughs> I'll probably hear about it later, though, that's for sure. Um, he's speaking to Elijah's flawed expectations, okay? So what you're gonna see in a minute, in other words, Elijah believed that when God wants to do things, all he has to do is show up with a blaze of fire, with power. You know, all you have to do is kill all those prophets of Baal and the people of Israel will all turn to you. How many have ever met people that say things like, you know what, if God's real, all he has to do is show up and everybody would believe in him then. How many have ever had this kind of conversation with people? That is the silliest, dumbest conversation because it doesn't even show that they have the inkling of understanding of what God wants. God doesn't want people to just believe in him in fact he says in his word you can't help but to believe in him you have to force him out of your mind what he wants is for individuals to like him authentically so much that they trust him and want to be like him you guys have heard me do this before but i'll say it again listen i'm gonna be straight with you i don't always keep the speed limit okay i don't always keep the speed limit so when i do keep the speed limit though is when i see the radar trap set up I'm keeping that speed limit. I'm going right at 55. Now, I'm not, I'm not keeping it just for one reason. I don't really believe the wheels on my car are going to fall off if I go 56. I don't believe my engine's going to drop in the road if I go 56. I simply see the radar set up, and because of force, okay, because I'm fearful of consequences, I am keeping the law. I'm not keeping the law because I like the law, believe in the law, trust in the law, love the law. I'm keeping it because I'm forced to. Elijah thought, Elijah thought that all God had to do was show power and people would, you know, bow their knee. Well, you can bow your knee and hate somebody you're bowing your knee to. He didn't understand that God's playing the long game, not the short game. God was playing chess. Elijah's thinking checkers. Elijah's thinking get them to conform outwardly, but God's like, no, 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 I, I really love people. And I know that all I can do is offer who I really am. I can offer them my truth, my principles, and they're either gonna like them trust me love me or they're going to reject me I'll, I'll finalize this thing I'll go to the cross I'll show them that even though I'm the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe I'll go to the cross and shamelessly let them crucify me so they can know I love them shamelessly all I want is their best but I can't give them their best unless they trust me so I'm going to I'm going to hang on this cross to win their hearts and their trust back but if they reject me, I have nothing else to offer. This is why it's such a serious thing when we know the truth about God in Christ to reject him because he's got nothing left. It's kind of like when a guy tells a girl, you know, I'd like you, like you. You know what I mean? You, when you just say you like somebody, well, we, it might be a friend, but when you tell the girl, I like you, like you, at least it used to be that way. Now you're vulnerable because if she says then to you, I just like you as a friend, it's like, yeah. It's like the, the dagger in the heart, you know. God on the cross is vulnerably saying I love you more than you can imagine but I need your trust before I can give you the good that I want to give you Elijah thought God could conform people outwardly with power without recognizing he couldn't transform people inwardly unless he honestly won our affection and ultimately our trust so God's changing Elijah's expectations by what goes on here. Now, listen to this scene that takes place. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great, powerful wind 
tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was what does it say not in the wind the big power display after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake not in the big power display once again after the earthquake came a fire but the Lord was not in the fire after the fire came a what gentle whisper this is the way God has to work because he's playing chess not checkers he's playing the long game he really intends to build an eternal family of those that love him for himself that love righteousness for its own intrinsic worth that trust him and want to be with him who like him and want to be like him that's the kingdom he's building and to do that you have to reveal yourself vulnerably and you're you're whispering to people and you're only going to have on your team on your side in your family the people that honestly are interested in knowing you Acts 17 it says that that God put us in these various geographical places and various times in history it's a really interesting passage so that we might seek him it says even though he's not far from any of us it says in him we live and move and have our being but God waits for people to seek him he whispers so that we'll lean in and say okay I'm interested in you I want to know you I don't want to just get to heaven I want to know you because you are heaven heaven is nothing without the presence of God when Elijah heard it he pulled his cloak over his face and he went went and he stood at the mouth of the cave (laughs) I'm just going to ask you how many of you know what it is you get into the presence of God and all of a sudden the full magnificence of his presence hits you the full stunning magnificence of his unselfish love hits you and all you want to do is you just want to pull your head down you want to you want to go to your knees when we read in scripture in philippians where it says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that is so misunderstood people read that as it's going to be a power thing no it's not no it's not it's going to be when the universe sees the beauty of the heart of god everybody's just going to fall down they're going to say there's nobody there's nobody nobody like you nobody so kind nobody so gentle nobody so forgiving nobody can handle that kind of power with such gentleness and unselfish devotion to those that you've created that that's what is happening here with elijah elijah is recovering mentally physically spiritually and god's going to redirect him next let's look at what goes on the lord said to him go back the way you came this is what god usually does to us back when we when i hit that difficult place in uh, 12 or 13 years in our history as a church and i got you know almost out of my head ultimately the lord said randy you know who you are you know what i've gifted you and called you to do go back go back keep at it and i have been back at it ever since then the church is now 30 years old go back the way you came and go to the desert of damascus where you will anoint haziel king over aram anoint jehu son of nimshi king over israel and anoint elisha son of shaphat shaphat uh, from abel mahola to succeed you as prophet and then he reminds him remember Elijah said I'm the only one God I'm the only one in all Israel that's still devoted to you the Lord reminds him he says and yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him he's saying Elijah come on man I got 7,000 other people that are just as loyal as you it's just that you don't know them I know them but you don't know them they're just as important to me as you are but, but you're not alone now these names this guy here Jehu who he is to anoint as king he takes care of the Jezebel problem 
okay? Elijah gets into this fix because he's scared of Jezebel. Jehu, when he becomes king, has Jezebel thrown out of her palace window. End of story for her. He also goes on to take care of all of Ahab's lineage, takes care of all of them. This guy, uh, Haziel, king of Aram, he ultimately gets one last son of Ahab's that was still sticking around in a war. He takes care of him. And then, of course, uh, Elisha takes over where Elijah left. So, so here's my point. The thing that brought Elijah into the dark place, the thing that will bring you and I sometimes into the dark, irrational place where we will consider bad decisions rarely comes to, to place it, it doesn't happen okay God is faithful he does sustain us until our mission is over Elijah ends up not just living he ends up <laughs> getting taken up into heaven alive and he appears alive on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus the thing that brought him to the lowest place in his life never happened God saw to it and so he tells Elijah go back go back do what you were created to do be who you were created to be and relax learn to rely on me learn to trust me you have nothing to fear with Jezebel let me go back to that that situation 12th 13th year in the church we're trying to raise $100,000 or we're never going to be able to make the move up here I'm discouraged almost depressed beyond what I can express and uh, I get alone with God get back to work just get at it and we go on with this campaign. When the campaign ended in two or three weeks, we still didn't have the money. We had $32,000. But there was this one lady in the church. Didn't really even hardly know her. She was a widow. She lived alone. Very, very, very simple lifestyle. No reason to believe she had much to live on at all. That little lady, anonymously, and she insisted that I never let anyone know, she's, she's gone to be with the Lord now, wrote a $100,000 check. And that's why we're here. You're sitting here today receiving God's word because that little unknown lady, <laughs> she just allowed herself to be used of God. This is not a pitch for money. Please do not even think that it is. This is just to let you know that we can really trust, on, trust God. We can really rely on Him. Elijah could, you can, I can. I've learned that lesson. It's taken me a long time. I'm a slow learner, but I've learned. So let me close out with one last equation for you. <laughs> if I can just go on. Put this one, tuck this one away. When I have flawed expectations, I'm expecting God to do something that He hasn't promised to do. Elijah was expecting God to change the hearts of, Eli of uh, Jezebel through a power display. It's not the way God works. He had flawed expectations. On top of that, the man was physically exhausted. We're spirit, soul, and body. Uh, we have to take care of our body. J just something as simple as sleep deprivation can be very dangerous if it's prolonged. Flawed expectations plus physical exhaustion will bring exasperation, bring us into that funk, bring us into that dark place we'll be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exasperated. We'll get negative, we'll get picky, we'll get angry, we'll get sulky, we'll get irrational. We might get angry at God, we might be angry at His people, we might think we're the only one that cares, the only one that's faithful. And then we might start thinking of those very, very dangerous escape scenarios. So here we have a pattern. When we see it in ourselves, we gotta get into the presence of God. We gotta get into the cave 
of recovery and redirection. It's in that place we learn or we're reminded by God who we are in his sight and what he put us on this planet to do. So let me just say this. It's possible that right here this morning, somebody is, is at that place where you are maybe right now in that funk and you've been thinking, you know, I'm not gonna live this way anymore or I can't live this way anymore. I hate my life. I hate maybe myself. I, I hate my circumstances. I'm disappointed and I feel overwhelmed. And I just think it would be easier not to go on anymore. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at some scenarios of getting away, maybe from me, maybe from life. It could be that right here this morning, you're in that place. You need to understand, if that is the place, a loving God, a loving God created this very message to let you know you are so precious and valuable to Him and you are never beyond His reach. This great prophet that God never allowed to see death he too sunk into this place. Nothing for you and I to be ashamed of when we sink into these places. But we should learn the lesson of how to get back into the presence of God, get recovery, get the rest we need, get the food we need, uh, get the perspective we need, get our expectations realigned with God's will and ways and promises. And then get back at it. Get back at the assignment. Get back at it because... You and I are at our best when we are engaged, being who God meant us to be, doing what God meant us to do. We, we can only be fully human and fully alive when we're in that place. So this morning, afresh, make no mistake, God is calling every one of you. Nobody, nobody's excluded. Nobody's done something that excludes them. You're being called of God afresh to recover, to get healed, to get healthy. Take the time you need. Elijah took, if you add all the days up, it was probably about three months in this recovery. Maybe you need three months. I don't know. Maybe you need three years. It's okay. God, God's got all the time in the world. You never thought of that, but he's eternal. He'll heal us. He'll redirect us. Will you hear what his spirit is trying to say to you today? Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know the fears. You know the barriers we have built up. Uh, may your spirit pierce through those. I've watched you do it in my life again and again. May you do that for our good today. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.